You know, our worship teams uh, don't serve because they want everyone to notice them or applause, but they have worked so hard and done so many practices. Can we show our appreciation this morning? Well, if today is your first time coming back to church in a while or you're brand new checking out Ocean View, a special welcome to you. Uh, what a crazy journey our world, our province, our country, our islands specifically have been on. And despite this current wave, it does feel like we're nearing somewhat the end of this crazy pandemic. I uh, happened to pick up the province newspaper on Tuesday and it told me that 77.6% uh, of people 12 and over are fully vaccinated and 85.1% have received their first dose. So whatever's happening, and according to history, pandemics have a wave, and they go up and they go down. So I think we're nearing the end. There's light at the end of the tunnel. It's interesting as we think about it, um, what the pandemic has done to church. Um, obviously, one thing is it caused all churches to kick up their game on live stream. Uh, for a long time, that was our only way of gathering. So a huge thanks to Jason Hicks and the rest of the techs and sound people who have helped us dramatically improve. Uh, you need to hear that we still get comments, we get cards, we get tithe checks from people who do not live on Vancouver Island. They live in other places in our province, but they consistently watch our live stream and they feel they are a part of our church. And that is so cool. That's a fantastic new thing. And I love it. It's kind of broadened the boundaries of who comes to church. Uh, there are people in lots of different ways. And uh, we still have some things we'd like to tweak. There's some equipment things. We'd like to get this camera out of the way, get them up on the ceiling. So, you know, if you have like 2500 bucks just lying around, you're like, I don't know what to do with it. Just send it our way. You're thinking, dream on, buddy. Uh, hey, I can ask, right? Hey, whatever. Um, the other interesting thing that the pandemic has done is cause people to leave church. Uh, I've spoken to or heard about four couples or individuals in the last few weeks. They have texted me or had conversations and they said, Darren, uh, we are not going to be a part of church any longer. It's been a real shakeup in people's spiritual lives. Uh, somebody said to me, I'm just not interested in attending church at this time. Uh, another person says, you know, I'm just not sure why I'm not going. I guess I just got out of routine. For other people, it's simply a matter of moving. They bought and sold a house or different circumstances have changed. A couple sent me a text this week and said, you were all a huge blessing to us. Uh, we made friends and loved the heart of the church. Now we'll try to serve our local community. So they found a church closer to where they're living now. Continue on in what you're doing. Ocean View is a fabulous church. We will miss it. Thank them for the kind words, but lots of changes. That's my point. Lots of changes. It has also caused people to begin attending. I've met lots of folks over the summer who are brand new. We're checking out our church and uh, we're going to continue to see that over the fall. And that's really exciting as God continues to bring those folks who need to be here. So I thought today, today's feels like a kickoff. Labor Day's done. School's back in session. It's a perfect time to kind of stop and remind us who we are, why we're here, what our vision is. And specifically, 
to remind us of the joy and the power of community. The fact that we are a local church on mission, bound together by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says having a clear direction and vision is really, really important. Proverbs 19.18 famously says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. You've seen our vision statement, the big banners that hang in the foyer. That's the big picture. Love God, love others, serve the world. They're simple, straightforward, and they're very biblical. Love God. We take that from Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Love others. That comes from Luke chapter 10. Love your neighbor as yourself and serve the world, Matthew 5, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So our vision's kind of the big, broad brushstrokes of what we are as a church. And then we have five values that specifically guide us. Outward focus, serving Lady Smith, communion, communicating well, Jesus in the 21st century, exalting God, living with integrity, acting like Jesus, caring for the third world poor, and nurturing relationships, hospitality, and fellowship. And very conveniently, it spells ocean. It's maybe like somebody thought about that. It's crazy. As we gather back together today, I think there are three specific reasons that it's important to be reminded of who we are and where we're going as a church. Number one, it reminds us why we exist. All of us, myself included, we are prone to forget, aren't we? You know what happens when a local church forgets why it exists? It starts doing a whole bunch of different things. Instead of a laser focus, you get a shotgun blast. Your people resources get stretched incredibly thin. Everyone's going in a million directions. I can't say it any better than pastor and author Perry Noble. He said, if people don't know where a church is supposed to be going, then it will attempt to go everywhere and eventually wind up nowhere. And that statement lines up with what the Bible says. I looked up Proverbs 29.18 in the message version. This is really beautiful. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what He reveals, they are most blessed. Secondly, it gives us the power to say no. You know, over the years, people have come up with tons of suggestions for different ministries, different ways of doing things. And we say yes to some of those great ideas, and we say no to others. An example, the second of our five values is to communicate well. Jesus in the 21st century. That means that we're going to take the timeless message, the message of the gospel that never changes, but we're going to communicate it in a way that works for our 21st century Canadian West Coast culture. You know, several times, probably four or five times over the time I've been a pastor here, people have come to me kind of usually around the end of November and they say, Darren, Christmas is coming. I have a great idea this year for Christmas Eve service. We should get all the kids in bathrobes and we should like just tell the Christmas story like really straight up. And I say, you know what, that's, that's an idea. And here's why I don't want to do that. Is because that means something to you if you've been in church for 35 years. 
But if you are an unchurched person who comes to church just on Christmas Eve, that actually doesn't mean a whole lot. And when a message is really direct, it tends to bounce off and get rejected. So what we're doing instead is taking something that's already out there in culture. We've used Charlie Brown's Christmas, the Muppet Christmas Carol, the poem Twas the Night Before Christmas. We use those things that are already embedded in our culture and we tell the Christmas story through that. You come in on an angle. And the response has been phenomenal. People from our community flock in. The year before COVID hit, between our two services, we had 355 people come to our Christmas Eve services. And I know that a ton are from the community because half of our congregation goes other places to visit family. So I guarantee the community's in here. So our vision and our value guide us in simple decisions like that. Third way, it gives us a common language and a reference point. If you've been around Ocean View for any length of time, you start to know that. Love God, love others, serve the world. Now, if you've ever had the experience of going to a church where their vision statement is a full paragraph long, and then you, you read it and you go, wow, that's a lot packed in there. And then you go up and ask any random person in the church, so tell me about your church's vision. you be like, well, yeah, we, we have one. And, and then they'll kind of generally give you their opinion of what the vision of the church is. And if you ask someone else, you might get a completely different answer. That really, love God, love others, and serve the world, the power of it's in its simplicity. It's so clear. One of our young adults told me a couple years ago, this is the first church I've ever been in where I could remember the vision statement. So why do we have a vision? Why do we have values that guide us or reminds us why I exist? It gives us the power to say no, and it gives us a common language and a reference point. Now, a vision is only worth as much as the paper it's printed on if you don't put it into action. That's why I love this quote by Joel Barker. He says, vision without action is merely a dream. Action without vision just passes the time. But vision with action can change the world. So the focus today is loving others, nurturing relationships, hospitality, and fellowship. I've entitled this point, Better Together. You know, when a local church is healthy, it becomes a real gathering of people. You've got a lot of people that are coming because they are convinced Jesus Christ is who he claims to be, the Lord and Savior of this world. They've come to him in repentance and faith. They're maturing, growing in their faith. And then if a church is healthy, you've also got people coming every week who haven't yet made that decision but they're interested they're checking it out they're wondering is this community of faith legit is jesus the real deal and a healthy church has both coming together you have this mix and the book of hebrews tells us how a church is supposed to be led and conduct itself it says in hebrews 10 23 let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. The church should be consistent in what it believes, teaches, 
proclaims, and worships. Why is that? Because God is consistent and faithful in his character and his actions, and the church should reflect that. And then the second thing the church should be is like a giant pot of good-tasting stone soup. Now, that's weird. Have you ever heard the story of stone soup? It's pretty, pretty classic. It's in all kinds of cultures. It's the story of a hungry traveler. He shows up to a poor village with just a pot. And he goes and he knocks on doors and he asks a few of the folks in the village, hey, I'm really hungry. Do you have any food to spare? And they all say, oh, things are really tight. I'm sorry, we don't have anything to spare, nothing to share with you. And so he doesn't despair. He simply goes into the middle of the town, builds a fire, pulls out his pot, fills it with water, and drops one clean stone into the pot. A man from the village walks by and is curious as to what the traveler is making. And the traveler says, oh, I'm making stone soup. You can see the stone right in the water there. Is it beginning to boil? It's my favorite soup, stone soup. Although this particular pot of stone soup would be so much better if I had a few carrots. And the guy says, oh, I've got a few of those. I'll go get them. When he returns, the traveler carefully washes and cuts up the carrots into the soup. As the two men standing there, a woman comes by and asks what in the world they're doing. And they said, oh, we're making stone soup. He goes, the crazy thing is, this particular pot of stone soup would taste so much better if it had potatoes. And she says, oh, well, I've got a few potatoes. And she runs and gets them, and they wash them, chop them into that. The pattern continues with villager after villager contributing small amounts of ingredients to the soup. At the end of the process, the traveler stirs the soup, and he picks up that stone, and he removes it from the soup, and he declares that the stone soup is ready. And he begins to dish out bowls of soup to the entire community. It's a beautiful little parable of what a community can do together. Hebrews 10, in the second half of the Bible, commands us, it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Really, a church is a little bit like stone soup. We all bring something. We bring a talent, a gift, an ability, and we certainly bring love to contribute. One of us, by ourselves, wouldn't be the kind of force that can change our community. But when God in his wisdom brings us together and we all contribute, the more we are heated up and inspired by the love of Jesus Christ, when that soup has, has cooked long enough, the flavors combine, the ingredients are cooked, then it spills over. We share it to our community. It overflows. So, what have you got to contribute to Ocean View community this year? I've been thinking a lot about this idea of growing our fellowship, our, our, our relationships with each other. We have Connect, Grow, Serve groups. You, if you've been in other church, you may call them small groups or life groups. We call them Connect, Grow, Serve groups here. And before the pandemic, we were starting to ramp up. We had lots of new small groups, new Connect, Grow, Serve groups. And now we need to rebuild that. Uh, Neil and Carmen Hewitt oversee that ministry. 
And if you're interested in participating and maybe learning to lead one of those, they would love to talk to you. That's one way we can continue to nurture and build those relationships. Now, my experience is not all small group environments work for every single person. A lot of people like more one-on-one. And they say, if I'm really going to grow, if I'm really going to thrive, it's in that one-on-one setting. And so we've done a lot of work in establishing mentoring partnerships. The Apostle Paul knew the power of mentoring. He declares in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That summarizes mentoring. So we laid out four booklets each mentoring partnership will work through to ensure the basics get covered from there. Mentoring partnerships start going in different directions. Some have chosen to use something like the chosen video series that's out there that you can watch for free. Great to watch those, discuss, get deeper into the life of Jesus. I always recommend mentoring partnerships meet once every three weeks. If it's more than that, it feels too long. If it's more, if it's, sorry, if it's more than that, if it's every week or two weeks, it's too hard for people to keep up. If it's less than that, if you only meet once every month, it feels too long, too much time apart. Now, both really effective and deep life change can happen in CGS groups, in mentoring partnerships. So we leave that up to you. You know yourself. You know how you would thrive best. Uh, I have a couple mentors waiting and ready to go. They're just looking for people to mentor. Maybe that's you. Think about it. In the announcements this morning, you heard us talk about the need in our children's ministry. Let me say again, kids are valued in this church. We really, truly want to see kids grow and develop in their faith. The church should make it a priority to gather weekly. That passage in Hebrews goes on to say this in Hebrews 10.25. It says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, God gives us that command not because he is legalistically keeping track of who's a church and who isn't, but he gives us that that command rather because he knows it's the healthiest way for us to live life, to grow and develop into the likeness of Jesus. A few years ago, I got to read the book, uh, You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit by James K.A. Smith. And it really crystallized my thinking about what's the value of us gathering? Why bother showing up here week after week? What do we get out of it? What, how does this change us? This is what he says. I love this. He says, in worship... We don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise, although we should do that. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship, 
because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. For me, when I read that and understood that, it was like a light bulb going on. Yes, that's why. That's why we gather here. That's why it's, it's necessary to come to church. That's why we make the effort, because God is actually doing something in us. It's like going to the gym. We exercise. We, our hearts get retrained. Let me assure you, church, I have never had a checklist and never will. This isn't about guilting you into coming to church. It's the opposite. There is tremendous benefit to myself and to all of us for being here. Our world screams at us every day. Lots of crazy messages. And especially the message of selfishness. It's all about you and what you want and getting your needs met. We are at the center of our existence, our culture tells us. It's me, 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 me. And then Jesus comes along and says, actually, that's a dead-end road. He says, don't focus on yourself, focus on him. And when we get our full eyes and vision on Jesus, it's amazing. The rest of life starts to line up. The greatest place in the Christian life isn't where we exhaust ourselves trying to do it on our own strength, but rather where the Holy Spirit brings the presence of Jesus into our lives, where Jesus fills us and empowers us. Colossians 1.29 makes this promise. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. That is so beautiful and it's so important because it's a complete misunderstanding of the Christian life to think it's all up to me. I've just got to try really hard. Because you do that long enough, and you fail. And then you feel guilty. And that's not what God designed. The greatest place in the Christian life is where we're consistently depending on the Holy Spirit, and we're listening to the Holy Spirit. I came across this gorgeous verse, Psalm 143.10 this week. It says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. That's the promise. When we're listening, the Holy Spirit guides us. He prompts us. He gives us the next step. Well, I want to finish today by talking about being a lone ranger just doesn't work. Romans 12, 3 to 5. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith. God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You remember the Lone Ranger, classic character from Wild West days, comic books, TV shows, a few years ago, they brought out a movie version. It was pretty terrible. Don't go see it. It's become a catchphrase in our culture, meaning to kind of go it alone or try to do it by yourself, to be a lone ranger. There's a woman named Susan Pinker, and she is a social science columnist for the Wall Street Journal. And in 2017, she gave a fascinating TED Talk called The Secret to Living Longer, Maybe Your Social Life. 
And she researched and she compared North America to the Italian island of Sardinia. This is crazy. There are 10 times as many people in Sardinia that have reached the age of 100. 10 times as many as in Mexico, Canada, and the United States. So maybe she thought, maybe it's the olive oil. Maybe that's what's making them live so long. Turned out that wasn't it. She's like, well, it's a sunny climate. Well, yeah, the other places have lots of sunny climate too. Wasn't the gluten-free diet or their personality types. What she narrowed it down to after years of research, it was the quality of close personal relationships and face-to-face interactions. Those little towns in that island of Sardinia are all focused around their town square, their cafes, all those places where people gather each and every day. And this was her conclusion. She says, building in-person interaction into our cities, into our workplaces, into our agendas, sends feel-good hormones surging through the bloodstream and brain and helps us live longer. I call this building your village, and building it and sustaining it is a matter of life and death. It's good for your health, it turns out, to be in rich communal relationship with each other. Well, that's pretty amazing, and I love her research. I love the conclusions. You know what? The Bible's been saying that for 2,000 years. (laughs) Being a lone ranger is problematic in all areas of life, but it is absolutely deadly as a model for how to attempt to follow Jesus. And when I read those verses in Romans 12 this week, it struck me in a new way that this is extremely relevant to this idea of coming back to community, of gathering, of nurturing our fellowship and our hospitality. If you think about it, it says at the beginning, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And then at the end it says, and each member belongs to all the others. So here was my light bulb inspiration. It certainly means Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought in terms of one person has this gift or ability to contribute and someone else has something else and you think you're greater. It definitely means that. But I think it also means that we ought not to think of ourselves so highly that we think we don't need anybody else. And if you think about it, that has hugely crept into our culture. The more the pandemic's gone on, the more people have massive feelings of anxiety, the more they shelter in their homes, the less they interact with others. There's a slight element of that that's actually arrogant, that says, I'm completely self-sufficient. I don't need anybody else. And I think this is where the church can be countercultural in the best possible way. We can show the world the value, the love, the joy of gathering and being a community of faith. Being a lone ranger doesn't work. So here's what I absolutely know to be true beyond a shadow of a doubt. Working in churches for the last 26 years of my life. Every person I've ever encountered that told me, you know what, I'm good. 
I don't need to go to church. Hey, Jesus says it's me and him, right? I don't need anybody else. And I go, technically, you're right. If you crash landed in a jet on a desert island, you and Jesus are still good. It's all great. But here's the thing. You don't live on a deserted island somewhere in the South Pacific. You actually do have the chance to be part of a community of faith. And when people who claim that, when I check in with them six months, a year later, and say, how's it going? No one ever says, it's going great. I've deepened, I've grown so much in my faith. They all go, yeah, not, not going too well. You know what? God knows that. God designed it. He built it. He organized us to be together. We need each other. God designed us for fellowship with himself and with each other. No lone rangers. Amen? Fernando, come and pray for us. pray lord we we acknowledge your presence here this morning